Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Death Therapy, and you're listening to the Campfire Conversationalist Podcast. Yeah. Right, we are we are back with another episode for the uh, podcast, and today we have a special guest. And Matt, why don't you uh, why don't you introduce our, our guest today? Okay, so today we have Jason Wisdom from Death Therapy, and also previously becoming the Archetype. And uh, a lot of people may or may not know who those bands are, uh, but I do. And since <laughs> this is my show. <laughs> it's important to me. I've been a huge fan of Jason's vocals uh, since probably when I first uh, heard them uh, and saw Becoming the Archetype. You guys opened up uh, for Demon Hunter, and it was at in Grand Rapids at a venue called The Intersection, which I have only been there two times, and both times were to see Demon Hunter. Um, so yeah, after after I saw becoming the archetype uh, in Grand Rapids, um, I was sold. And okay, yeah. So um, I've been a huge fan of Jason and his vocals ever since I saw them uh, open up for Demon Hunter, oh so many years ago. Um, mm. And um, I guess the, as they say, the rest is history. I've just been. I love becoming the archetype, and then when Death Therapy, when when you know that album came out, the first album, uh, of course I had to you know get it, and I it, it's so different dynamically in a lot of ways from becoming the archetype, but it has a lot of similarities as well in my opinion, and so of course I like that, um, and yeah, I guess that'd be the introduction for for Jason. Jason, yeah, yeah, thanks thanks for having me. That. That was a good introduction. I uh, I think you're you're right. People either definitely have heard of my music or definitely haven't. It's one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's kind of one of those genres where that's the case, you know. I, I mean, there's there's seven billion people in the world. I would say most people haven't heard of anything I've done, and that's okay. Yeah, I get you on that too, for sure. <laughs> that you know, it's then you don't have people, you know, everywhere you go, and you have to have, you know. A, a crew of bodyguards like Tom Cruise or whatever, you know what I mean? You can still be you. Right, totally. I I love I love that I can just be me and walk around not having any money. I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me say, Jason, that I was at that show as well, and oh, I kind of cool. I kind of w- took away from it the same thing. Like I was totally sold from that point on. Um, awesome. It, it was a great show. You know, it's one that I'll never forget. You know, uh, did you guys, did you ever come to any of the shows we played in Skeletons? No, no, I don't think I did. Do you remember that place? Well, it was in Grand Rapids, I thought. Maybe I'm thinking of a different place. Maybe that's in a different part of Um, to, to be honest, the only venue I've ever been to in Grand Rapids was the intersection. Because actually, um, oh, I live in Wisconsin now, but John and I are both from the Detroit area. Um, it's so a pretty, yeah, it's Hunter, a good drive out there. Um, yeah, it's talking. about two and a half or three hours. I, think. I got you. Okay. Yeah. So when, when Demon Hunter went on tour, we were just like, yeah, Grand Rapids isn't that far. We'll go. So it was kind of like, we never really went to that many shows out there because more than likely people are going to book a show in Detroit over Grand Rapids anyway. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of really the reason why we never had been out to, um, Grand Rapids more than just for that particular show. I, I gotcha. like I said, I went there twice to see Demon Hunter and that was the only time I've really been in Grand Rapids for a show. We, awesome. you, you know, well, we did lots of free promo for Demon Hunter here. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not yeah, supposed to be released a new album today. As their album drops today, <laughs> uh, which I've listened to. Yeah. I haven't got to listen to it yet. Personally. When does, I uh, when we does that, when a does your third next... of their fans to go buy our record when it comes out in April? When does your when does your album drop? When does Death Therapy's uh, second album drop? April twelfth. 
April 12th, everyone. I've already got it pre-ordered. Pre-ordered. Awesome. Pre-ordered. I had to. I had to, man. <laughs> well, you know... So what do you guys got? What do you, what do you got for me? Well, real quick... I heard there's going to be some very deep questions. Well, one thing that me and Mauer, we were just discussing just a few minutes ago, is we... It was something that I was always thinking about, is, like, how does someone with your vocal set, how do you, like discover this do you just like stumble across it or you know i mean do you just wake up one day and you're like you know hey i can growl or I just stub stub my toe one day yeah and you're like you know like i mean i i can't uh, do it I so i i've never tried but i i can't really process it in my brain how this would like come out of someone unless like you know i i've seen a thousand shows with death metal shows but i just don't understand it like and yours, uh, yours is one of the heaviest that I've ever well, heard, you know? Well, thank you. I mean, I don't feel that way necessarily like I'm doing something ridiculously special, but it is something that, I mean, I've worked on for a long time. And, you know, just like any style of artwork that you, you develop, you find the people that you like. And I can remember we used to get together in the, in the basement of, um, my best friend's house and he turned out to be the drummer of the band we started back in 1998 99 or whatever and we were listening to you know living sacrifice or something like that and you know started just messing around with some of their songs and you know just trying to do what he was doing and um and yes yeah, so, i mean it's just kind of something you, something i developed i guess working on it over okay. time but did i mean i were I'd you I now older and I get more out of practice with it sometimes because, you know, dealing with life and kids and things like that. I mean, it's a, it's a skill. It's definitely something that when you get out of practice, it's like a muscle that you have to keep working out. Okay. Now, were you... Something we were talking about is, like, you're becoming the Archetype's first album, Terminate Damnation. Um, mm -hmm. Was that a take from Mortification? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was the, the title was inspired by Mortification, yeah. Okay, so yes. we were we were wondering like that's if first, any of the vocals the came from like that or like on Scrolls of the Megaloth. Yes. Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. So yeah, Mortification was the very first band that I was introduced to with that style of growling vocals, and again, the first time I heard that, I instantly was like, "What is this? <laughs> you can do that in music?" And I was I was like instantly in love with like that style of music ever you know since i heard uh the first album i heard would have been um from mortification um oh crap post momentary affliction so mm -hmm. right after scrolls of the megaloth but i eventually you know got scrolls of the megaloth as well um so yeah when i when i first heard that i was like what and yeah it, yeah so, again so I, I was the opposite of you the first time i heard it like a band like living sacrifice or uh, mortification the first time i heard that style i hated it i really? was really into bands like pod and okay um, blindside and at the time it, you know mid 90s blindside was about as heavy as i could handle okay um, yeah yeah for sure started, i'm a huge fan of those uh, bands as well i grew up listening to like you know pop punk things and country music and other things like that because I've always lived in the South. Yeah. Um, so my gateway to metal music was, you know, through like listening to bands like Five Iron Frenzy or MXPX and then I got into okay. Supertones and then they were on tour with Project 86 and P.O.D. and people like that and I started getting into that. That slowly led oh, okay. into bands like Living Sacrifice and then into Mortification. So I kind of it, I had to ease my way into it. I, I didn't like it instantly. Okay. Wow. Okay. Interesting. That, um, that is like, I, I did not see that coming. <laughs> yep. No, I really I didn't. Wow. Okay. Um, I, you All know, right, see you guys later. <laughs> that <laughs> great was, interview. That was the greatest. Um, so one thing that I, I guess when we were sitting down, we were writing questions together is, 
someone that has been through the music scene that, you know, at least me and Matt and a lot of our friends know of either your up and coming project or becoming the archetype. But one thing we were wondering is in how does like if you wouldn't mind, like where how did your Christian life how did it impact like the music scene and like what you were doing? Yeah. I mean I know it's kind of a complex question. No no but... yeah. Well without without sounding like too much of a downer, mm-hmm. um I never have really been in a band that made it per se. So what I mean by that is I definitely think that a lot of bands who they get really successful, they make a lot of money, they do a lot of big tours, they become sort of semi-famous. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they struggle with a lot of, um, of pressures and things that bands who who tend to stay you know, on the smaller level, which BTA, my previous band, was, was a, a very important band to a lot of people, but it was never a very big band. Um, we did that tour with Demon Hunter, which was really the only sort of legitimate tour that we ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we were we were always the kind of band who could draw thirty people in a town, kind of thing. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, music was always something that like I wanted to do, and I still want to do, and I would love to make it one day. But in a sense, it's almost like I've 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 had a um, unintentional blessing of being grounded to uh, to the real world and to real life and to things like that because I never I never my star never soared high enough to get away from the earth where okay. I was just like uh, you know I mean I, I like I said I didn't want that I don't want to sound like I'm trying to be a downer but what I'm trying to say is you know at this point I'm 35 years old and I want to I, I still want to tour as much as I can and play music as much as I can but honestly uh you know, my faith is, is probably shaped my music more than the music has shaped my faith. Um, I got because, you. because the music never really took over my life in the way that maybe it would if I had, you know, let's say we'd done a few tours and we got out there and we got as popular as somebody like August Burns Red or, you know, who knows, whatever mm-hmm. band you would name. I could imagine it would have dramatically affected my life <laughs> in a different way, you know? Yeah. So... That's probably not the answer you were expecting. No, 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 no. Uh, no, I mean... I didn't prepare, I didn't prepare any answers. So no, it, <laughs> no, and it's fine. I mean, I mean, have you have you always been... Like, when did you get saved? How about that? I grew, I grew up in a Christian home, um, so I've got that super boring testimony that nobody wants to hear, but it's the one that we all hope our kids will have. Yeah. You know? Basically, I just... I grew up in a Christian home. I pretty much never would have um, said that Jesus wasn't my savior. I mean, my kids are, I have a seven-year-old son, you know, and I think when he turned five, um, he's pretty much, he just always like, I'm a Christian. Yeah, you know, dad, I'm a Christian, you know, and he doesn't understand what that means really fully at this point in his life. But it's, you know, if he, if he, you know, if he walks in the faith for the rest of his life, he'll be, he'll be in the same position I was in. Whereas there was never really a time when I would look back and say I wasn't a a believer, but it was in high school when I sort of started caring more about taking faith seriously. And then um, went to college and hated college. And then like towards the end of college, I started loving um, theology and apologetics. And I really got into that. So I actually have two master's degrees. I have one in apologetics and one in Christian theology and uh, That's awesome. doing abs- doing absolutely nothing with either one of them is <laughs> worth anything. So uh, hey, I'm a musician. You and me both. <laughs> to be poor and miserable. Um, but but yeah, uh, I'm poor, miserable, and have lots of deep thoughts. How about that? Um, but uh, isn't that isn't that usually where people with deep thoughts end up? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe so. <laughs> it's not. In- <laughs> You know, it's not until after you're dead that you become rich because people look back over your notes and they're like, this guy was a genius. Why didn't we listen oh, to him when he was alive? Um, 
I, uh, you know, I, I'm in the same boat. I, I got an undergrad, went to grad school, realized I was $80,000 in debt and had nowhere to go with it. You know, my, uh, <laughs> my degree is just basically like a paperweight. That's, that's pretty much it. You know, um, I, I don't know why college is that way. It just kind of seems to roll that way, you know, for some people, unless you're like very specific in the science field. Yeah. Um, totally. So, um, um, so, you know, when I, you know, I was in a band a while ago, it was a long time ago, probably 20 plus years ago. And I remember there being like some of the biggest struggles in my life with my, in even through school, but you went through, you went through a Christian college, I imagine for theology. Mm -hmm. See, I went through a secular school. And when I started, I remember thinking, like, there's no way this is going to break down my faith. I'm not going to let it. And my first year in, I took, I had to take all my philosophy courses. And yeah. they just hammered me every single day. And I fought back every single day. And this, this kid behind me, we were constantly, I had to take a uh, philosophy of religion class. And the whole class was just designed to disprove God exists. And me and this kid sat, that sat behind me, we were constantly rebuttaling the teacher until mm -hmm. basically come the end of the class, we had to write a paper. My paper was good. It was a great paper. Um, but it was basically arguing against what the teacher had taught the whole semester. And he basically marked me down to a C for one comma splice. <laughs> I think they made a movie about. Uh, yeah, God. I think they made three God's of them. God's not dead. Yeah, I think they made three of those movies. You, you know, but my point is they through all of somebody better to play you though. But you know, <laughs> my point is is like my first year, my second year, my third year, I fought back against the you know collegiate system until. One day I realized, like, I'm losing this battle because my grades are... My grades, if I, you know, if I keep my mouth silent... This was my brain thought. It wasn't right, but if I kept my mouth silent, then I'll get better grades. But if I fight yeah. back against them, then my, mar my grades are, like, you know, reduced. And I don't understand why the, the college system is like that other than the fact of the liberal mind, you know? Yeah, I would... <laughs> You know, of course, I would never have thought of this now, you know, when I was doing it, if I had been in your shoes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in hindsight now, if, if somebody were to ask me, how do I deal with that dilemma? I would probably actually suggest to just embrace it and write every paper almost in character, as it were. Yeah. Um, do your best to sort of present the other side as strongly as you can, because that's actually a valuable skill to have. As Just an apologist, to be, yeah, um, to be able to argue the other side's point of view as well or better than they can. So I would even almost say, for a lot of people who find themselves in that awkward position, I would say, yeah, I know you want to, <laughs> I know you want to fight back and be the God's not dead guy, and you hope that you can convince the atheist teacher to cry in front of everybody and you know die in the street or whatever happens. Um, <laughs> but right. that's probably not going to happen. And you're going to end up actually sabotaging yourself. And, um, and I mean, your GPA. And if you can't right. keep an objective mind, that's the one thing that I got out of it. Is like to be objective, to look at like what you said, both sides of the argument and be able to argue for the other side, even though I'm not like leaning towards the other side. Right. Well, and, you know, there's there's a, you know, this there's this could be tied into the discussion of music. There's an, there's an argument to be made that someone like Bono in U2 mm -hmm. has much more of a platform to influence the world with his faith. Now, he's not necessarily an you know orthodox with everything he believes per se, mm -hmm. um, but because he didn't necessarily come in the world, you know, screaming, hey, we're evangelical, hey, we're Christian. Pulling a Tim uh, Tebow. Yeah, they're, well, yeah, and even Tebow, even Tebow's, yeah, I mean, the college football world is a super evangelical realm, you know, so yeah. it's, I always think it's funny how people, because um, where I live in Georgia, in the southeast, I mean, you know, everybody's favorite players are the, you know, the guy who stands up and 
talks about how he's a believer and, and all these other things. I think that's great, but I also think, you know, that's part of the culture and wait until that kid is not 19 anymore and he actually ends up, you know, in the pros, in that world. That Then it's a question of where's he going to right. go. But I guess what I'm saying is um, if a person is intentional about it, I would say they could actually – they could accomplish probably a lot more as a professor or a teacher if they um, sort of quote unquote played by the rules until they get tenure or whatever somewhere. And then they have a lot more leeway to sort of, you know, share their faith uh, through their worldview and things like that. Whereas, you know, I, I grew up, you know, so I wanted to, you know, when we started a band, I wanted to go out. I wanted to go into every dive bar that we could go into and proclaim the gospel in front of a bunch of metalheads, you know, and um, and we did, and uh, and I don't I don't mean to say that that was bad mm-hmm. at all. What I mean to say is I think in some ways it sort of uh, I don't know it, it put a ceiling on what we could do. It basically said, okay, cool, well, we'll push you over here and you can preach to the choir because the rest of the world doesn't need you, kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. Um, it's weird how that works. There's always that weird uh, paradox of standing up for your faith, but not wanting to be only, you know, labeled as that guy. That, you know, like if you're a if you're a person who runs a business and you're Christian, um, you know, you don't want people to not do business with you just because they, you know, they think you're the Christian business guy. Yeah. Um, but you also don't want to. I don't know. It's a deep conversation, man. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you asked me to blindside you. I'm doing my best. Um, you know, I was thinking of the other side, too, of that equation is that I know when you, not not you, but like when some people, when they take on that role of becoming super Christian, that they kind of lose themselves in that, just just yeah. trying to be that role. And all of a sudden, like, legalism comes into it and everything, like, I mean, they, they put it to the supermax. You know, like, I have to be super Christian wearing my cape. And, I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to, like, judge them for that, but I think that's the far side of the other spectrum, is that they're taking on a super role of super Christian. And to, like, when they're trying to present Christ to other people, those other people, they... They might be a little. I know they're a little standoffish because I've even looked at them and I'm like, "Whoa, <laughs> like, can, can yeah. we take this down about 14 levels?" <laughs> yeah, just to find a baseline, I, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing is, um, you know, I mean, so, so Macho Man Randy Savage is not the kind of guy that you probably like. Um, He's not considered the deepest thinker when he's given one of his big long speeches, you know, to intimidate the other wrestler. Right. It's really intense, and a lot of people love it, and they like the energy that's behind it. But it's not necessarily a very uh, deep thing. And I guess there's a there's a level at which being that guy who who always wants to be the loudest Christian in the room. Can sometimes be, I don't know. It's almost like a W. It can be a WWE approach, yeah. And it, it it makes a lot of noise, and and other people who like that and they wish they had the guts to do that will cheer for you. But then you have to you have to wonder how much is this accomplishing? Yeah. Versus, hey, what if we just sit down with people, one on one? You know what I mean? Right. That's that's, that's, that's always a, been my approach as well. That's like, can um, arms. yeah. Like I've I've never been a uh, an uh, evangelist. I'm not I'm not that personality type, and I've always just been like, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I don't think I've ever had one job, or <clears throat> people you know didn't know I was a Christian, but I wasn't an in-your-face, annoying type of Christian, and it seemed like whenever someone had a theological question. I'm always the one that they would come to because they're like, hey, Matt's a Christian. He knows or that's their uh, you know, assumption, whether I do or not, a totally different thing. But I mean, and I've always just been me. I've never like I, I can't do the whatever the I don't even know what you want to call it. 
that Christian, you know, I'm not yeah. that guy. I'm just me, man. I don't want to try to be like that Christian. I just want to be me. And well, uh, yeah, I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is I kind of I kind of came up in the music scene in the age of the um, Christian band or Christians in a yeah, band. The Christian, yeah, the Christian. Yeah, it, there was a whole there was a whole underground scene of like Christian bands that were doing really really well. And in a sense, a lot of people took advantage of it, um, and they were super outspoken. And it was—it wasn't—it wasn't a hindrance. It didn't hurt them at the time. Mm-hmm. But then, as soon as they could get past it, they sort of jettisoned it, like you know, like a like a rocket, um, you know, booster. They just got rid of it. And um, and I mean, you know, there's plenty of bands doing that now. But I guess what I'm getting at is, I just when I look back at that, I think of it as like that was just a lot of. That was just a lot of immaturity. I mean, we were all, you know, 19, 20 years old. We were all coming out. We didn't, we didn't know anything about anything, and we thought that we, you know, just, we just knew it. And that's that. The energy of that is good because I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of what you want in the arts. You want people, you know, just being, you know, just having all the confidence in the world that they can do anything. You don't want a bunch of people around like me sitting, you know, making music and art, always, you know, worried of what. You know, oh, is anybody going to like this? <laughs> you know. Um, but at the same time, spiritually speaking, I think it caused a lot of, it caused a lot of problems and that, that whole scene kind of imploded on itself yeah, and and hurt a lot of people. Whereas if we all could have just sort of been, Hey, yeah, we're Christians and we're outspoken about it. You know, just come talk to us. You know, it's like no big deal rather than, Hey, I'm going to march around on stage here for, you know, 20 minutes and give my macho man, Randy Savage sort of take on the gospel. Um, kind of thing and pe- some people will boo and some people will cheer and I, that just it was a very immature approach I guess in a lot of ways and so it's it was doomed probably from the start yeah I you know I believe it or not I was I, I remember almost being a part of that you know and even in my youth group at the time with the uh, the pastor had the same intensity but the whole movement it like you said it just you know, it kind of reminded me of uh, when I was a kid, we threw a Christmas tree, like a dried out Christmas tree on a fire. And you uh-huh. would have this big blazing fire, but it would last for like five minutes, you know. Right. And, then, and then it was just embers after that. There was nothing left. Whereas, you know, if you threw like, you know, your, your paper in and then your, your sticks and then your logs, you'd have an intense fire for a really, really long time that was you know sustaining for that period does that make sense so totally to me i mean that's that's what it seemed like now in hindsight like you said like i can look back and i can see like i'm not mad that you know things went down and you know or things didn't go down the way that i thought they would um that friendships weren't maintained for x amount of time but i can look back and i can see in hindsight like it was just a christmas tree and since right. then, wisdom has taught me to lean, like, you know, more on the, you know, more in Christ as a fuel source than, you know, looking around and, I guess, trying to have that false fire source. Is am I am I getting that like across? Yeah, right? I know like, what you're saying. I know what you're to saying. To lean to lean in Christ instead of like trying to kind of have a facade or lean on someone else to like manufacture a, something. Yeah, like. to manufacture. There you go. Um. What was I going to say? Um, we, um, well, since you have a theology degree, um, we did have some, we had some theology questions. Mm-hmm. Um, me and Matt were both, actually Matt brought it up. Uh, Matt wanted to know, what, because primarily on the show, we just talk about whatever. We don't really have a source beginning or end, but... Whether we believe them or not in conspiracy theories or not, we like to discuss those. So we thought it would be interesting with you if you wanted to talk about a conspiracy theory like within the Bible, like uh, the pre-Adamic race or the Nephilim in Genesis 6 and Isaiah. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is your take on those? Man, I'm going to give you really boring answers to all. We're we're Um, good with boring answers, believe me. Yeah, no, I'm just saying (laughs) Basically, my my response on that is like, oh my gosh, 
Yeah, that's generally my response. Is <laughs> I know that's so like it's like oh come on you got to play along a little bit but um, uh, I mean I see there I think there's some there's some philosophical issues that arise from taking the interpretation that the Nephilim are basically I don't I don't know that I'm prepared to open the can of worms that angelic beings came and be, mated with yeah know. whether they be demonic or, or or good that they have the capacity to to impregnate or you know take on human form in an actual physical sense in that way I mean it's just really I don't know if I even I guess that would be my only thought is like every time I think about it I'm just like <laughs> That opens up a giant can of worms. Because so the, then you got you got the question you got the question of like, okay, well, is that something that they were only able to do for a certain amount of time? Which you would have to say that, and you is it you could or or is it possible that you know they continue to do that? And hey, if that's the case, then who's to say that um, you know Jesus wasn't born as the child of of. Uh, of a you know a demon or something like that that was you know that Mary was in, wasn't impregnated by it. I mean, just all of this stuff just becomes like to me. It just is. It's exhausting for me to even think about all of the. I, honestly, I mean. Well, what? Well, what about yeah. the? Okay, so say we step away from like the Book of Enoch and Genesis six and seven. Yeah. What if we stepped away from that? Because I, I personally, I I've researched it immense and. I always come away with the same idea that, like, my brain hurts afterwards, even, especially reading the Book of Enoch, like, it just, I, it, I don't yeah. think there's conclusive evidence either way. Um, I think it's in wording and how people take it. But what if we stepped totally. away from that towards, like, a pre-Adamic race? Yeah, I mean... And we're, uh, you know, I'm speaking specifically between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. Um, where, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth right. was without form and void. Um, right there in between, I mean, you understand what I'm saying. Like, the pre-Adamic race, yeah. they're saying that there's a huge timeline. Right, you know, there's, a, there's a gap within, basically, there's a, there's a race that exists, and almost, then there's a period of chaos, and then it, it recreated. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're getting at? That's what I'm getting at, yep. After that, yeah, I mean... So my my degree was in I, I history. I like know your take on that because I my take on that would just be sort of the same as the other one, which is like I don't I don't really see a whole lot there. But okay, so my take on it is this, and it comes from a bunch of different directions. Okay, um, number one, I'll just my background, my degree was in history, and one of the things that always puzzled me in the Christian faith was how. You know, creationists were always quick to jump the gun on uh, the historical timeline, being that the Earth was only 6,000 years old or 7,000 years old max. Right. Um, I don't believe, I, I really honestly don't believe in carbon dating testing as to be accurate. But even with that aside, I mean, you can look at certain timelines within, like, ancient Egypt, okay? where they found mummies in the desert that clearly, you know, have been there for, you know, they're, they're ranging between seven and 10,000 years. Right. Which brings into question creationist idea of a 6,000 year old earth, you know? Totally. Um, so that being said, when I was, when I was looking at, you know, the pre-Adamic race, that always puzzled me. Like, well, can the earth only be 6,000 years? Is it possible that, you know, a day to God is a thousand years, thousand years as a day? You know, is it possible that when God created the heavens and the earth, that they were along, they were around for a while, and then, you know, craziness happened, and then whatever, he restored the earth, and then you start a timeline, but maybe the earth didn't implode or explode, but it was just there. And he yeah, I mean that. It, a lot of that comes down to again, you like you were talking about with the um, with the Nephilim. It's it's you know it depends on how you're gonna you're gonna interpret the the 
the Hebrew words mm -hmm. for, you know, without form and void. And I know uh, there's all sorts of debate on that. Um, my thing would just be that, you know, I'm with you in with regards to the feeling the push of like, okay, well, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna squeeze all this into a 6,000 year timeline, several of these things don't seem to make sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, one of the biggest things for me would be, um, it, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense of what, of our concepts of archeological things like the, you know, the stone age and then the bronze age and other things like that. It seems like we kind of almost just, we just skipped straight into the bronze age. Um, as far as if we're, if we're going with a strict 6,000 year timeline, cause yeah. it's almost like, okay, right off the bat, we've got instruments and other things that are, you I know, mean, which is, so, I mean, so the, the Bible that, could gets, the yeah. the Bible could argue for that though. I mean, because when Cain got sent out uh, from you know from Eden, and he was totally sent away, and it says that he found I don't have my Bible actually in front of me right now, but he basically stumbles across like a, a another population of people, right. um, and a city, yeah, a city. So. There are a couple things that come out of that. Number one, metalworking. I believe it says it right in there um, that they were the first people to discover metal, like metalworking. Mm -hmm. So that could be made for the argument. Like maybe they did just step every, like bypass everything, go right into the Bronze Age. Well, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is, I think if you read it totally literally, then you you almost have to you have to make that assumption. You, which is why I think there's a lot of tension with. Um, young earth creationists when you even you know mm -hmm. if you were to even mention anything like cavemen or neanderthals or you were to mention um, and that's a whole other debate but like if you were to just basically if you were to imply that there was ever a time at which human beings weren't hyper advanced mm -hmm. basically at least up to the point of the stone or the, the bronze age then uh, that's a point of, of tension to them and, and I don't I guess I tend to I tend to think that those things are really not like you were saying, um, yeah, even if we want to say I don't trust carbon dating, there just seems to be a lot of other things that don't make a whole lot of sense of the timeline to take it hyper literally. So I, my response would be that I don't, I really don't, uh, the, the pre-Adamic race thing strikes me as a little, I don't know, it, it, to me it just seems a little ad hoc. It just seems like it's kind of, it's a theory and who knows, but it, um, I guess I would just tend to probably be more in line with somebody like a Hugh Ross, mm -hmm. who takes a little bit more of a day age kind of perspective of an old earth creationism. But yeah, but the moment I say that, there's a part of my brain that wants to push back and say, you know, um, I've heard I've heard absolutely outstanding presentations for, you know, some, something like like I said, like a day age, you know way of looking. I think Hugh Ross has done the most thorough um, work on that. Um, mm -hmm. But then I've, you know, I went to Truett McConnell College, which is a little teeny weeny college in North Georgia mountains, which nobody would know about and or care about. But the guy who um, was one of the biology professors there is a guy named Dr. Kurt Wise. And Dr. Kurt Wise, actually, um, he basically did all of the, a lot of the scientific work behind the creation museum okay so he um you know ken ham's kind of the businessman um side of things and dr kurt wise if you were to go around the creation museum which is i'm just using that as sort of the example of young earth creationism i mean dr kurt wise has a he's pretty much every he's on everything that's there um it seems like mm -hmm. um and you know i had some really good conversations with him where he presented some really interesting scientific theories that I had never heard before from young earth creationist type people on how he thinks fossils were laid down and how these, you know, other types of things and, you know, um, you know, all sorts of floating debris barges of like large land masses that were like floating and just interesting theories. And every, so I guess what I'm getting at is I just, I'm insanely torn when it comes to this. I just, I always find myself being like, gosh, I could go either way. Um, yeah. Well, well, like me and Matt talked about when we were, you know, really talking about this is that it's one of those things that we, 
we think about, but you know, it's always looming over our heads that yes, it's not expedient. You know, right? Uh, it's well, just, I mean, it's just those you know, questions the, that are out right. there that will have to be, you know, I mean, to be totally solved, they're going to have to be taken to God. That's the only well, yeah. way. That's the only way you're yeah. ever going to know. So, I mean, the 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 deconstructionist. Um, way of escaping that, of course, is just to basically say that, like, you know, okay, well, the Bible's, you know, it's just, it, it's not meant to tell you. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to tell you those types of things. And it's just, you know, you just, it's basically just a book of folk tales that, you know, um, and I don't, I can't, I can't ever, I can't take myself down that road because I feel like Jesus had, I feel like Jesus saw more in the Old Testament than that, if that makes any sense. I, I don't feel like Jesus's approach to the Old Testament was, hey, it's just a book of old folk tales. No. Um, okay, okay, let's move along. Um, but there is, there, there also is a certain level at which I trust the Old Testament because I know Jesus trusted the Old Testament and not because I can understand the Old Testament or not even just understand it, but also sometimes I don't. I don't even, I don't even feel like I have enough faith to believe it in my own. I guess what I'm getting at is, I, when I used to teach uh, Bible to kids, I mean, I, I would say like I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting, like, hey, this there's several of these things I'm reading that just are really, really hard for me to believe. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they they are, they just are, like. When I, when I get into the way it seems like God was interacting with people and, and uh, you know, in particular, some of the, the, you know, the things in the book of Joshua and other things like that that people always want to bring up. I mean, some of it's just, I'm just sitting here like, I don't know what to think. Um, and I guess what I'm getting at is I, I still don't know what to think. I mean, I've read hundreds of books on the thing, yeah. you know. Um, and I can give you arguments from all sorts of different directions about how this makes it okay and how this makes it okay. And why, you know, but at the end of the day, I've just, so I guess what I'm saying is I don't take the deconstructionist approach of just like, Hey, it's just a bunch of old folk tales. Um, and I don't take the sort of Marcionite approach of like, okay, we just don't need that old Testament stuff. Let's just focus on Jesus and the ethic of love. I don't take that approach either, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, there's a part of me that's just like, okay, when I read the Old Testament, I, man, I am, I'm so far removed from understanding. <laughs> I just have to kind of, I kind of just have to go, okay, Jesus, I don't know what you're trying to say with this stuff, but, you know, I trust you because of who you are and what you did and because are a reliable account of who you were and what you said and what you did. So right. um, I'm going to, I'm going to put that. <laughs> I'm going to put this other thing, this talking snake or this talking donkey or these people that made strange fire and they just fell down dead. And I'm going to put those things in this basket over here and say, I can't wait to figure out when I get to heaven. But yeah, you know, um, and that honestly, uh, what you, what you, what you're getting from me when you hear me say that about a lot of these issues is if you'd have talked to me 10 years ago, I had super hyper strong opinions about every, every one of those things yeah um and i mean i was arguing with people constantly i had a, i even had a blog that actually got pretty successful for a while um and man i was just but now now that i'm a little older a little wiser i guess i'm just i find myself more and more going like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> there's a few things i do know and i'm not budging on those but <laughs> I mean, how old is the you know how old is the universe how old is the earth yeah. Um, was there a pre-Adamic race? Was there uh, Nephilim? Man, I just don't know. Um, you know. You know. I, is, is there is there a rapture, a pre-tribulational rapture? Man, I don't see it in the Bible, but I don't know. Um, you, you know, know I'm I'm nearing forty right now, and like yeah. you said, the the older I get, the arrogant, you know, um, conflicted young self, it tends to just kind of slough off and fall mm-hmm. away and the older i get the more of that goes away you right. know the more pride just kind of washes away and i i was like you 
I would argue, and man, I would like literally throw down with someone if I had to as a, <laughs> as a teen, you know? Dude, John would love to get into debates with people. I it, remember, dude. It, it, it was it, just it'd like be entertaining to watch. It, yeah. You know, I mean, that that was the young, impulsive part of me that just wanted to, you know, it wasn't really about the faith. It wasn't really about what we were saying, if it was right or wrong. It was just about proving to everyone around that I was right and they were wrong. Right. Totally. And Been there. The, <laughs> the older I get, the less relevant that seems, you know. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I know, I know what I believe, and I know it's based on, you know, it's based on what, I, I guess, faith, and what evidence, and what God has shown me. But, mm. like, as far as fighting someone, or even even in a debate, it, it just seems less relevant. You know, it doesn't seem like I have to be right in your face to prove a point. Um, there's a measure totally. of love that that supersedes that, to where you can love someone through it, and they can see that through you. You know, uh, as far as these theories, I mean, they're to me, they're just theories. You well, know? I mean, and, I guess, I guess, so like, there, there's a whole culture of people who love sports and they love to watch these like, yeah, um, these talk shows that come on ESPN during the day. I mean, heck. That's all they play, and it frustrates me because I'm like, I thought they used to play, you know, sports highlight clips and stuff, and that's all I want to see is the highlights of what happened. Yeah. But there's there's people who love to just watch these people yelling at each other about their theories on what's going to happen in this game and what's going to happen in this game, and let's analyze why this person did this thing, and what about this person? Who's the greatest at this or that? And I guess what I'm saying is the older I get, and I don't think it's an age thing because I know there's some people who are – you know, 60, 70 years old, and the man, they just love watching that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the less and less I'm interested in that kind of stuff because it just seems more and more like just, you know, for lack of a better term, like grasping at the wind kind of thing. It just seems like <laughs> I'm not accomplishing anything. I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know there are people who are absolutely convinced that if they dig through the book of Daniel hard enough, and they dig through the book of Revelation hard enough and several, <laughs> several other books. They're going to come up with they're going to come up with something and they're going to be able to tangibly go tell somebody. Yeah. Hey, look at this thing. This proves this thing and that proves this thing. And here here's this thing. And look, it all ties together. But then I want to say to that person, are you are you aware that like the Muslims are doing the same thing? Mm-hmm. They the the Jehovah's Witnesses are doing the same thing. The Mormons are doing the same thing. Like they've all got their little projects that they're sure that if they can dig through this thing and show you this thing and prove you this thing, it doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile, but it does mean that like at the end of the day, to me, it just, it has to come down to like, who was this historical person, Jesus of Nazareth? And did he really do the stuff that Matthew, Mark, Luke, Especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I mean, John, obviously, mm-hmm. also. But I would just say, let's talk about the synoptics. Did did this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, do this stuff? Do we have good reason to think he did? Um, not just, you know, what he said and taught, but also, you know, the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And if we did, then I think we walked back from there. Um, you know, and, um, and <laughs> I feel like there's some people who are, they, just, they started at, like their, their, their interest got peaked at, um, oh my gosh, look at the blood moons. And what does that tell us about this other thing? And I guess, I guess I feel like that's sort of a, <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a replacement religion in a way. Yeah. Um, it's basically like you're trying to have your astrology and your Christianity at the same time. Yeah. Um, and, and that, and that goes for, that goes for all sorts of things. I mean, you know, legalism is born out of people, you know, wanting to have, wanting to have that certain type of thing. Um, you know, I, I know he's a disgraced pastor at this point, but uh, whatever it was a decade ago or so, there was a book written called um, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And uh, 
And I just always re remember thinking, I mean, regardless of anything else that happened in that pastor's life, just the title of the book is very significant, you know? Yeah. It's like Jesus plus nothing is, you know, Jesus is everything kind of thing. So yeah, um, that's what I have to keep going back to because otherwise I, I feel like, especially in a modern American context where we have so much, um, so many comforts of the world and so many other things, I mean, the the pilgrim's progress seems it's like it seems even more fantastic and and fantasy land because i mean how many of us are actually going on a pilgrimage somewhere physical how many of us are actually going through the you know the going through the mire of despondency or whatever um but i think a lot of times in my faith journey um it has a lot to do with the places i i take myself and the places I, you know, the things, the things I dig into that I think are going to fulfill me, um, you know, other than Jesus and the things I want Jesus to do or God to do that, you know, I'm, ex I'm putting expectations on him. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm rambling a little bit. No, 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 no. You know, I, I was going to ask. I, I guess what I'm saying is I think there's something much deeper going on in a lot of those, those things than we than we realize sometimes and uh and yeah it's something i've been struggling with a lot i mean it's just on, on the new death therapy album the last two tracks um are and bta fans will be happy about this the last two tracks are like a 13 minute long epic um yes. which yeah um it, to it totally <laughs> could have fit it totally could fit on terminate damnation um yes orchestra stuff <laughs> and blah, 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 blah. but it's based. It's all based on God's monologue in the Book of Job when He sort of responds to Job, and He's like, you know, who are you? Um, who is this who darkens counsel? The song's called Darkening Counsel. Um, but uh, I've sp I've just spent a lot of time on that because, you know, I'm the kind of guy who it can be real easy for me to sit around and put expectations on God, and um, I think people go one of two directions with that. They either become hyper disappointed by the problem of the hiddenness of God and you know what I mean by that but sort of the idea of like where is God and what's he doing why is it not what I want it to be um, they either get super depressed and a lot of times they leave the faith um, and they'll claim that's because he wasn't there and there was no evidence and they become atheists or whatever or they go the opposite direction they become hyper hyper charismatic and they're basically manufacturing a lot of their own um, you know things that they claim are God um, I'm not trying to accuse anybody of that. I'm just saying I think I think those are the two directions that um, that people can go with that um, largely. And uh, anyway, all all that all that is to say. Do you think that, uh, Do you think that's a like a defensive mechanism? Yeah. Well, I guess yeah. What I'm saying is I think some people either they give up or they they try to fend it themselves and yeah. um well i mean all, all, all like in, what, like what, in job's what, case uh if you don't mind me interjecting just for a yeah, second so in job's case like uh, i'll just give you from my personal life like when my a few years ago my mom passed and when she passed for me it was like it, it was a horrible circumstance to go through um because it just seemed like that job experience where like your friends turn and they move away and it's not so much that they turn against you, but they're just not around you to give kind of any comfort. And then, like, everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Your mom's passing. So there's, like, a huge, you know, it's just, like, a disparity there. And out of that, like, at the beginning, I had, like, this solid faith. But then at, you know, when I got, when my mom actually passed, it was, like, there was questions that were roaming around in my head and I'm sure that it was just like the circumstance but it was continually rolling around like is God real is is what I'm going through is this normal for me to feel this way are these questions in my head are they are they right am I am I bad you know for thinking these things but now years have passed and I realized this just you know it was a struggle that I was going through and it was kind of my way of coping with it I, I could be wrong in that, but I, I feel like I came out of the circumstance like stronger than I went in as far as faith goes. It was, I don't know, it made me a stronger person.
coming out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, I guess, yeah, I think, I think that's part of, part of what I'm getting at is the, um, the struggle. I think a lot of us have the expectation that we're not going to struggle like that, mm -hmm. that we're, we read Job's, we read Job's story and, oh, wow, good thing, thank goodness I don't have it as bad as Job, or thank goodness I'm not as stupid as the Israelites, or thank goodness I'm not as, <laughs> I know that sounds terrible, I'm just saying, I think a lot of us read, read that, oh, thank goodness I'm not so doofus, I'm not such a doofus that I would build a golden calf, like, right after we walked across the, you know, the Red Sea, you know, I'm, Thank goodness I'm not like that. I think I guess what I'm saying is I think we read a lot of times we read the bad parts or excuse me. I think we read the the negative depictions of humans in the Old Testament especially and we think good thing I'm not like that. And then we read the really good examples of humans and we think oh yeah, that's what I want to be and that's how I'm going to be. Yeah. And that's literally the opposite I think of how we're supposed to read it. <laughs> I think we're supposed yeah. to read it as like yeah, all of these examples of how they're screwing it up. Yeah, that's me, basically. And all these good examples, that's Jesus. Yeah. Um, you know, and... Um, Dude, you're right on. So, uh, you're right on. You have no idea how many times I've thought, like, I would never do something stupid like David. Like, never. <laughs> I would never, ever do something as stupid as, like you said, like the Israelites. And my pastor, he used to say he had a sermon series going on for, like, ever. And he used to say, one more trip around the mountain one more trip around the mountain and i remember that just sticking in my brain that i would never do this but yes you're right i would do everything in the bible i probably have a million times over right and so and so yeah i guess what i'm getting at is i think i think we there's a tendency some people give up um and that in a sense is its own idol that they're creating um i mean you know you're trying to put something in the place of where you feel like God's not. Um, and then there's the people who they they want to feel more than what they're feeling. So they manufacture something and they try to fill. And in either case, it's it's it's, it's idol worship. It's just, it's the same exact thing that we're saying that Israelites are so stupid for doing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, all I'm saying is that's, that sort of struggle is, 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 is a huge, a huge part of, you know, of, of what I'm going through and to tie that back to the music stuff, that's a huge part of why I created death therapy because you know, there were things I felt like I needed to say, um, musically that tie into that. I mean, um, the band name, you know, is about how life comes through death and not just, you know, the death of Christ and the resurrection, but also through, you know, spiritual, personal, daily, you know, dying to self. And, um, a lot of what I've just been talking about, you know, yeah. comes into that. It's like, um, yeah, so so anyway, I hope that kind of puts it, brings it back around a little bit. No, it, it totally does. And, you know, for all the listeners, again, I'm going to reiterate, go pre-order the new album. What's the new album? What's the, are you the releasing The new album's it? called Voices, and it comes out April 12th on Solid State Records. So okay. if you go to solidstaterecords.com, you can pre-order it there. Excellent. And it's on vinyl, it's on CD, it's on... Beanie Babies. No, it's not on Beanie Babies. <laughs> I ordered the uh, the vinyl and the CD. I um, had to. So yep. We also we also just put out our, our our first album on vinyl, which is. I saw that. Cool. I'm gonna have to order that as well. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're pretty. I don't even have a vinyl player. I don't have anything to play it out. I'm just collecting them. Yeah, totally. Okay, I think a lot of people are, are that way too. They're just. You know, it's it's some it's a big version of the artwork, and the cool thing yeah. is the vinyl actually has different artwork than the oh. CD, so you get alternate artwork in both albums. Oh, nice! That's yeah, awesome. I saw that the 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 first album uh, on vinyl was different artwork. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. So, um, same with the yeah. same with the the new one. The new one has two different covers, whether you got the CD or the uh, the vinyl. So yeah, hopefully folks will pick it up. I mean. There, uh, you know, the, to anyone who who is a fan of becoming the archetype, I would just say this record is much more in that direction. Um, and I don't just mean that because the first song we put out, "My Defiance," sounds like it could have been on Celestial Completion, 
and the last two songs that I just mentioned sound like they could be on Terminate Damnation because if you judged it only by those three tracks, um, it would be a very metal kind of album. But the whole rest of the record in between is not like those songs at all, um, but no two songs are the same. So actually, that's what I mean when I say it's more like a BTA record. Um, if you were to listen, go back and listen to, um, in particular, listen to Celestial Completion, which is the last record I did um, with BTA. I mean, there's no two songs on that record that sound the same. There's, you know, there's songs that have opera singers. There's songs that have um, ska parts. There's songs. Yes, that have- I thought that was amazing. I was like, dude, they want like rockabilly and ska and metal in one song, dude. Right. That's amazing. So, <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, to the people who, to the people who enjoyed that overall sort of vibe, they'll really like the new Death Therapy record because it's kind of like a every song is slightly different and has a different feel and uh there's a i mean there's a the first record had an instrumental uh tribute to my love for old video games and that is continued on the new the new death therapy album that comes out um it's got a it has an instrumental tribute to mega man which is one of my favorite video game series of all nice so um but yeah so yeah i would just basically what i'm getting at is i would encourage people maybe Maybe they checked out the first record and they didn't like it that much. It was too different for them. Um, I would encourage them to check out the new one. Um, I think the, the the first album was really different and it wasn't what I expected, but I definitely like it a lot. I did too. Uh, and it's got yeah, it's it's kind of got like a stylistically. It's there's not really anything out in the Christian music scene that's like that now. I mean, yeah. there's been stuff similar in like you know, kind of the past, but I don't really know of any any bands out there at currently that are doing uh, style. I don't even really know what you want to call it of the first yeah. Death Therapy album, and I, I liked it. It was really refreshing to get something kind of different out there. Well, yeah, I, I, I hope see, I hope that people will will pick up on that, and I hope that maybe after after a couple of records, you know, maybe a third record, um, people will start to starting to kind of come around um but the, let's let's be honest your attitude towards that is not the norm most people don't listen to music because it's different and there's nothing else that they can find like it most people listen to music because they discovered it via another band that sounds like it that they like you yeah. know what i mean it's, mm-hmm. it's and- the old the old thing of like oh well if you like this band you'll probably like this band well death therapy suffers from a giant deficit of there's nobody i mean you could say if you like if you like rob zombie or nine inch nails you should check out the first death therapy album that's exactly what i've done for for yeah but if you're a huge (laughs) if you're a huge nine inch nails fan the first album's really not quite nine inch nails if you're a huge Rob Zombie fan, the first album's a little not, it's not quite as much of party rock and roll, you know, and it, and on the new album, the new Death Therapy record, it's like, there's not a whole lot of Rob Zombie or Nine Inch Nails at all on the first, on the, or excuse me, on the new one. Mm-hmm. It's more sort of maybe Rage Against the Machine mixed with, you know, Cold Chamber mixed with, who, you know, who knows? Like, I guess what I'm saying is it's all over the place. Um, and I, that to me, there are people who, will appreciate it for that reason because they're not going to get it from anywhere else i can tell you i don't know when when the podcast or this this interview will come out but we're about to put out a new song on march 8th um which is next friday so a week from today and um that song is gonna be it's gonna split people in half and I don't mean well, that like I'm heavy metal, like it's going to spread them in half. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's going, I mean, that the fan base is either going to love it or they're going to hate it because it's. Dude, I remember when you, that, that single you guys put out, Crazy, which I think was a good song. Like, that yeah. style isn't really my style of music, but I, like, lyrically, I like that song. And when you guys put that out, I'm like, dude, this is good. And people were like, I don't know what they're. I don't. I remember people were kind of complaining, but I was like, "Why? It's <laughs> yeah. a good cover. It's a really good cover. Right. It's better than your original, in my opinion." Well, thanks, man. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think probably too it could be because I'm a little older. I'm I'm almost forty as well, and yeah. I would definitely not have probably said that ten or fifteen years ago. Totally. I probably been like, dude, are you selling out? What are you doing? You know, that would have been my <laughs> attitude. But now I'm right. like, That's... I like the lyrics of that song, and I think that your version is better than the original because it's really creative, and it's. I think it's a cleaner version, and it sounds great, and I like it. Even though it's not this deep, it's not like that at all. It's just yeah. a good cover song, in my opinion. Well, thanks, ma'am. I don't want to yeah, have to run on you guys, but I kind of got to get going. Okay. Nice, thanks, brother. I really One appreciate take. it, man. Nice. All right, do well, we man, have? Thank you guys so much. Okay, and we'll have to get you back on because I really, really, really want to do a rig rundown and. Go through like all your pedals, your gear, your tunings, totally. everything. Because to me, like I get really nerded out about that stuff. <laughs> um, so we'll we'll set up yeah. a time so we can do like a part two of this. Or maybe I can come up sometime and we, you know, if we play a show up your guys' way, we could do a, a video version or something. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah, do, so don't awesome. come to Central Wisconsin. Come to Detroit because uh, there's not a lot of venues where I live at. I'm living in the well, middle of we, we haven't come <laughs> to Central Wisconsin, but we've come to Oshkosh, Wisconsin more than almost anywhere in the country. So. Okay, yeah. I'm about uh, maybe two hours from there, hour and a half or two hours yeah. from Oshkosh. We've come, we've come there, and we will be back there for, uh, for Life Fest this year, but we... Yeah, we played. We actually played at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, and at a they had a metal club on campus. We came and played oh, nice. with them in O Sleeper. Nice. That's awesome. Yep. Hey, listen, Jason, I can't begin to thank you enough, man, for just taking the time and talking to us. All right. No problem, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, right. absolutely. And we'll look forward to seeing you again or talking to you again, hopefully in the near future. And everyone, gotta get the new Death Therapy album coming out. April 12th, is it? April 12th, yep. April 12th, and I'm super excited. You can check out uh, the single My Defiance right now on YouTube or wherever you listen to music, Spotify. Spotify yeah, yep. uh, it's, uh, it's really good. And if you like, if you've never heard of Jason Wisdom, if you've never heard of uh, Becoming the Archetype, and you've never heard of Death Therapy, and you like My Defiance, go check out Becoming the Archetype because that's a very similar style to Becoming the Archetype. And like I've said before, Becoming the Archetype's probably one of my top five favorite bands, not gonna <laughs> lie. <laughs> so awesome. All right. All right, thank, thank you very you. much. All right, guys. See ya. All right, peace.